This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we have a special class on Parsha Bayetzeh. Bayetzeh means Yaakov left Be'er Sheva. Yaakov left Be'er Sheva. We know that Abraham and Yitzhak, their favorite place was Be'er Sheva. Be'er Sheva was a place where the camel trains would pass between Babylon and Egypt, the two main superpowers at that time. And that's a, a best place if you want to convert people and missionize people. You meet a lot of people going through, all the travelers going through from Babylon to Egypt, from Egypt to Babylon. And that's where Abraham Abinu set up his base, his tents, his hospitality. And that's where Yitzhak continued the tradition. And this week's parasha finds Yaakov Abinu, number three, in line, who uh, is now leaving Beersheba, leaving his home base, leaving the place he grew up. It's a reverse of Abraham Avinu. We're going to talk about the connection between Yaakov and Abraham. That Yaakov is now leaving Eretz Israel. It's interesting because Hashem did not allow Yitzhak to leave Eretz Israel. Yitzhak was holy. Even though there's a famine in Israel, Hashem says stay here. And Yitzhak went to Gerar, the land of Palestine. But Yaakov is told to leave. Yaakov is told by his parents to leave Eretz Israel. Why he's running away from his brother, which we have to talk about more in detail, the power struggle between, between Yaakov and Esav, which uh, was an amazing power struggle, which is a representation of the spiritual and physical battles that we Jews have gone through through all the ages and until now, right now, we're going through the same kind of battle next week's parashah. But here Yaakov is running away. He's running away from Esav. His parents sent him away. He needs to find a wife. And the opportune place to find a wife was with his, uh, his uncle, Laban, Mr. White, who's really Mr. Black. And uh, Yaakov's running away. We're running, he's running away. And the Torah tells us, He goes away from Be'er There's a famous Rashi over there. I'm not going to go into But have a look at it. About the influences on the place. The Sadiq has an influence on the place. Yaakov will be left Be'er it left a tremendous impact, a void, a spiritual void in Beersheba. Anyway, so Yaakov, what happens? Very strange language. He hits a place. He meets a place. He meets a certain place, which we're going to talk about in greater detail. The rabbis say Yaakov prayed. This is where we learn Yaakov prayed by Makom. We know the word Makom. We find it in the Haggadah. Baruch HaMakom, Baruch Hu, blessed is the place, blessed is he. We see the word place, Makom refers to Hashem. Hashem is the place, the rabbis say, the world is inside the place. The place of, of the world is Hashem. Hashem is the place. We are all inside Hashem. All of us are inside the place, which is Hashem. And the Yikimachi, the word Hashem is, we take Yikimavke, Yid squared, He squared, Vat squared, and He squared. And you add them all up, you get the Gematria of Makom. So Makom is Hashem, alluded to Yudkevavke squared. And that's Hashem. So Vaivkava Makom. Yaakov prays to Hashem. Now we're going to talk about this more in detail later on. Remind me, there's three types of prayer. Shacharit, Mincha, Narvit. Abraham Avinu makes Shacharit. Vaishkem, Abraham Aboker. Abraham Avinu got up in the morning. We're going to talk about Yitzhak. Vayetzei Yitzhak, Vasuach, Vasadeh, Erev. That was Mincha. And Yaakov is Arvit. Yaakov is Mari of Arvit, which we're going to talk about in more detail. Very strange. Okay, the Alin Sham. And he sleeps over there. Kiba Hashem, it's got dark. And he takes the stones of the place by his head. 
and he sleeps in that place. So Yaakov really goes to sleep in this place. He has no idea what this place is. And he has this vision. Now, everyone thinks, you know, the, the biggest dream is Yosef. Everyone thinks, you know, because he had the, the play, they made a movie, Joseph the Dreamer. No, the biggest dreamer was Yaakov. Yaakov had the most spectacular dreams. In multicolor, in amazing angels going up and down, angels here and there. Yaakov Avinu has amazing visions. He has amazing dreams. It says over here, it's a dream. Yachalom Yaakov. Yaakov Avinu is having this amazing dream, which we have to talk about in great detail. Yaakov's vision is the vision of a ladder. A ladder going between heaven and earth. This is an amazing idea. There is a connection. That's this is what Yaakov is telling us. There is a connection between heaven and earth. The vision of Yaakov is telling us, we think there's no connection. Well, today we know better. We as Jews know better. But many people today think, many people, billions of people on this planet believe today there's no connection between heaven and earth. And here Yaakov has this dream, this vision. There's a ladder. It's based on the ground. And the head of the ladder is going into the heavens. And who's going up and down the ladder? The angels of God are going up and down this ladder. And where is Hashem? Hashem is on top of the ladder. And Hashem tells Yaakov, I am Hashem. I am the God of Abraham, your father. I am the God of Yitzhak. This land that you're lying down on, I will give it to you and your children. This is very important today, especially when there's a fight over the land of Israel. We have to remember this promise that Abraham got, that Yaakov got, Yitzhak got, we all got, our forefathers got this promise. Hashem is going to give us this land. And your children will be like the dust of the earth, which is not so great because the dust is something that people tread on. We're trodden on through history. We're trodden on like the dust of the earth. But eventually the dust will bury everyone. The dust buries people. We don't realize people put them in the dust. From dust to dust, right? And we're the, we're the people who will outlive everyone else. We will bury everyone else. What does that mean? That we will outlive all the nations around us. We will outlive them. We will be like the dust of the earth. Even though they trample on us. They have no regard for us. They will spread in the, in the east and the west. And the north and the south. And through us, through this nation, Hashem tells Yaakov, through your children, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, this is a very beautiful blessing. And I'm going to talk about it. Let's talk about the ladder. This great, spectacular image of this ladder going up to heaven. Torah says, number one, Yaakov placed stones under his head as pillows. And this is the first pillow fight in history. The, the Rashi says these stones, the Midrash says, the stones combine to one stone. Stones combine. Who's going to put the tzaddik on on my on me? The stone said, combined, it became one stone. And the, the British claimed that this is the stone of scone, which is under the throne of the king of uh, England. Uh, they claimed they found the stone. <laughs> really laughable, but they, it's it's so embedded in uh, in history. The stone, the stone was uh, appreciated by. Everyone, everyone looked for this stone. The British looked for the stone. They claimed they had the stone. They put it on the throne. The stone of Yaakov Avinu, where he put his head, such a holy stone. We, we have to appreciate these things that even other nations appreciate when they say they have the stone. But we have the stone. The stone is embedded in our brains. That's where the stone is. Where is the stone? It's in our Torah. 
and it's in our heads. We remember the stone. Now, what's going on with this stone? What is this stone? Yeah, and Rashi says something even more incomprehensible. What is this? Yaakov built a semicircle of stones around his head. What is he doing? What's this symbolized? Semicircle. This is number one priority before meditating. Build a stone, a wall around your head. What does that mean? Stop extraneous thoughts. The person's going to stop extraneous thoughts. That is symbolized by this wall, this stone wall. This, this the first wall, probably the first stone wall mentioned in the Torah is the stone wall that Yaakov had put around his head. What does it symbolize? If I want a dream. I want a vision about God. I want a holy dream. I've got to put some walls around my mind so all the garbage in my mind will not get in. Holiness has got to get in my mind. We have to build this today. We know like a firewall. We call it a firewall. If you want, to, you don't want to be hacked. You don't want your computer to be hacked. We don't want our brains to be hacked. Very important today. Our brains are hacked by everything going on around us, the media and so and so. So many different interferences. We have to put a firewall around our brain. That was symbolized by the stone of Yaakov. So the stones of Yaakov's dream. Before that, he puts stones around his head before he gets a dream. He wants to put a firewall around his head. Okay, that's a very interesting midrashic kind of explanation. He built this fence around his head. And that's what I understand. It's symbolical. He's building a firewall around his brain so he doesn't get these strange thoughts coming into his head. Now he's prepared for prophecy. Now he's prepared for his vision, which he gets at night. And he's told, he's shown this, this stone, this uh, sulam. And what is this dream of this ladder? So Rambam has an interesting take on it. Rambam says in his introduction to the guide to the perplexed, Moreno Bukhim, there are two kinds of prophecies. There's one kind of prophecy, every single word in the parable of the prophecy is significant. And number two, he says, there's prophecies where the, the, the minute details are not important. It's the broad message of the prophecy. So there's two kinds of prophecies. There's a prophecy which every single word of the prophecy means something significant. And there's another kind of prophecy where every single word is not so significant. It's the broad outlines of the story of the prophecy that's important. So that's an interesting two kinds of prophecy. The dream of Yaakov, he says, is in the first category. Every single word in this dream is important. Every single word is not extraneous. Every single word of this dream has vast significance. That's what the Rambam says. There are other prophecies, for example, I'm going to go into it, that are not, that not every word is important. It's just a general message. Or he says you can divide divine messages into three categories. The first category is clear messages, where Hashem gives us clear prophecies, and Hashem actually speaks to a person like Hashem spoke to Abraham, he spoke to Adam, he spoke to Noah. Or Hashem grants visions or parables. That's a second kind of speech to man, to visions. He said, this is the category of, ya of Yaakov's dream. Yaakov grants visions. Uh, Yaakov's dream was similar to a dream where it was like a parable, in a sense. We're going to talk about that. But it, number two really is Yosef's dreams. Yosef's dreams were pure parables. He dreams of the butler, he dreams of the baker, he dreams of the heaven, he saws the moon, the sun. And the planets are bowing down to the sheaves, bowing down to pure parable, pure parable. So in Yaakov's dreams, he said it combines both. It combines clear messages from God, which you can see because Hashem spoke to him, a message from God. And also this parable of the Sulam, of this ladder. So there's two parts to Yaakov's dream. There's a clear message there. Hashem is speaking to him in the dream. And he's getting this uh, vision of a uh, kind of parable 
of this ladder. So Yaakov's dream combines both. The speech that God spoke to Abraham, and he spoke to Adam, and he spoke to Noah, and it combines also the parables, dreams, which are the dreams of Yosef. So that's good to remember. So now, what does this parable of, this, of the ladder symbolize? So the Midrash Tanchuma goes into detail. Now, it's interesting. Midrash Tanchuma is a beautiful Midrash. It's a very short kind of Midrash. So you have the whole, all the whole Chumash in one slim volume. Midrash Tanchuma, you can get it in your local bookstore. You can probably download it on uh, Safari and other places. And it's interesting. It's interesting reading. It's a combination of halacha and stories. Over here, the Midrash says, the angels of the nations, the Babylonians, the Medians, the, the Greeks, and Edom, which is Rome, and these are the angels going up and down the ladder. So the flight of Yaakov symbolizes the wanderings of the Jewish people among the other nations. The rise and fall of the nations and their cultures. The ladder is the ladder of history. That's the Midrash Tanchuma. The ladder is the ladder of history. Nations climb the ladder and nations go fall down the ladder. Nations rise and nations fall. And Yaakov is the same Yaakov. There's a Yaakov over here. There's an there's a interesting constant in history, which is the Jewish people. That's Yaakov. Yaakov symbolizes Jewish people. We're a constant in the history, the ladders, the nations. Many of these, as Mark Twain put it up so nicely in Harper's Magazine in the 1850s, he says that all the all these massive nations came and they went and the Jewish people are still here. And he, and he wonders, what is the secret of our survival? What is the secret of Jewish survival? And the answer is, it's no secret. It's called God. Hashem. Hashem is the secret of Jewish survival. It's the covenant that God made to our forefathers that keeps us going. That's what we say in the Haggadah every, every year. This is the promise that Hashem gave Abraham Yitzhak Yaakov. That's the promise that keeps us going through history. Hashem promised this land to the Jewish people. He promised the covenant with, with uh, the Jewish people. And the covenant is the thing that keeps the Jews alive. Nothing else. All the nations don't like us. We have a lot of anti-Semitism. What keeps us going? And the answer is we have a covenant with Hashem. Hashem is the power behind the Jewish survival. And that is one of the biggest proofs of the existence of God. The fact that Jews are still around with all the hatred, with all the persecution. It's one of the proofs of Hashem. Hashem is in the world. So the flight of Yaakov is, symbolizes wanderings, Jewish wanderings through history. Yaakov's running around. He's in exile. He's going to exile. The rise and fall of the nations and the angels going up on the ladder. And who is the master of this ladder of history? And Hashem is on top of the ladder. Hashem, we've got to remember, Hashem is on top of this ladder, even though we cannot see. Sometimes we cannot feel. We wonder why, what's going on. We have to remember all the time, Hashem is the master of our destinies. Hashem is on top of the ladder. We could always appeal, cry out, pray out to Hashem as Yaakov Avinu was doing right now. And we're going to talk about Yaakov was praying to God before this vision. He was praying to God. What's going to happen? He's going to exile. His brother Esau is chasing him. And his brother's son, uh, Eliphaz, chased him, took all his money away. He left him penniless. And he's penniless going to meet a wife. Can you imagine trying to get a wife when you're penniless, especially in those days? And that's number one. So number one vision is, the explanation is, it's a ladder of history. Number two, Rashi says, first the angels ascend and then they descend. Don't angels come from heaven? Shouldn't angels be coming down before they go up? And Rashi says an amazing thing. This is talking about divine providence. Angels of God symbolize 
God's providence, God's protection of us. If God sends angels to us, he's, he's sending angels to protect us. The angels of Israel were protecting Yaakov and Israel. The angels of Israel now leaving him and going back to heaven. And the angels of Chutzlar, it's the angels of the diaspora. The angels of exile are coming down to greet him. So the angels are going up. The angels of Israel have fulfilled their mission. They looked at the Yaakov in Israel, and now the angels of Chutzlar are coming down. In other words, man's experience in his own country are not to be compared with the situation in a strange land. It's not the same angels. It's not the same providence. If you live in your own country, live in Israel, it's not the same providence as living outside Israel. When he returns, when Yaakov returns, after 20 years, he goes back to uh, Israel and he returns and he sees camps of angels that come to greet him. They crash him, he calls them camps. Camps of angels come to greet him. Which camps of angels? These are the angels of Israel coming to greet him. He's coming back from Chutzlar. So Yaakov is accompanied by angels. This is amazing. This is something which we have to try and get into our lives. Think of this concept of where we are constantly guarded by Hashem's angels. We should always be constantly guarded by Hashem's angels, obviously, depending on our deeds, depending on our thoughts. Whenever you, whenever you think of Hashem, He's with us. Whenever you think of God, He's with us. Whenever we think, when a Jew thinks of Hashem, Hashem is with us. Any person thinks of God, the real God, the God of Israel, the one God, the true God, God is with them. We have to always remember that. Angels are with us. Yaakov's angels, they, they're leaving. The angels of Israel are leaving. The angel, the divine providence of Israel is leaving him. Now he's going to get the providence of Chutzlaretz, which is not the same thing. It's a lower level of providence. And that's, that's uh, two, two uh, interesting uh, concepts uh, of commentaries on, on the ladder. We come to number three. Number three is the famous Baal Aturi. The Baal Aturim, Rabbi Yaakov Ben Harosh. He was the son of the Rosh, the great Rosh, Rabbi Asher. The great Posek, the great rabbi, from, ran away from Germany. The Maram of Rottenburg was put into jail. His rabbi, Maram, the mayor of Rottenburg, who wrote commentaries on uh, the Gemara and Tosford, uh, the back of the Apic Gemara, you'll find Maharam. Maharam, Rottenburg, the great rabbi of Germany, was put in jail by the Germans, and they held him to ransom. And his student was the Rosh, one of his students were Rosh. All his students ran away from Germany. There was a fear they're going to be held to ransom as well. So Maharam stayed in jail. The students ran away. One of the students was the Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher. Rabbeinu Asher runs, runs away to Spain, to the Sephardim in Spain, and he, he becomes, they put him as chief rabbi of Toledo. He gets a very big position. Imagine a, a chief Ashkenazi rabbi of the Spanish. Of the Sp- <laughs> this is, you know, I'm laughing. It, it doesn't make sense, right? He's, he's a chief rabbi of Toledo, which is a Spanish Sephardic uh, town. And probably his, his Hebrew was totally different, but nevertheless, they, they admired him. They respected him for his Torah knowledge. He was, he was a great man. They made him their chief rabbi. Amazing. His son is Rabbi Yaakov Balaturim. The Rabbi Yaakov is famous for writing the Tur, which is a halachic commentary before the Shulchan Aruch. The pre-data of the Shulchan Aruch is the Tur. Very massive encyclopedic work of Jewish halacha at the Rambam. And he also wrote a commentary on the Torah, which is known as the Tur on the Torah. Very beautiful pshat um, commentary on the Torah. However, it's well known for its gematrias. Rav Yaakov Balaturim had his mathematical brain. He had, every time he spoke, he'd say gematria. He would talk gematrias. Uh, some, some people love gematrias, which is numerical value. Every, there's nothing else. There's not a language in the world which has numerical values for letters, right? Every letter has numerical value. These numerical values 
you know, Kabbalah, Rizal uses a lot of numerical values, uh, different ways of making God's names and, and alluding to God's names and numerical values. And the Balatur does that in the Torah. So he says the word Sulam is Gematria 136. Remember that Sulam equals 136. And that is tremendous symbolism because there's other words which are very important words. One of them is the word for money. The word for money is Mamon. Mamon. Mem mem vav nun is gematria one thirty six. Sulami says, "Money is the ladder. Money can raise you up, and money can put you down. Money is the ladder to heaven and to hell. Money is the ladder to heaven and hell. What does that mean?" So this is the twelfth century. Rabbi Asher's son, Rabbi Yaakov, and he says, "Sulam is one thirty six. It's the same gematria as mamon." It's also the same gematria as Oni. Oni is poverty. You can imagine money and poverty have the same gematria of 136. Mamon, Oni, 136. So he says it's a metaphor. This ladder is a metaphor for money. What does that mean? If we are blessed with wealth and we do the right things, we can ascend the ladder. But money can potentially be a destructive force, leading to corruption and a descent into the pit of evil. Poverty can also lead to sin. A person struggling to feed his or her family may rationalize corruption and transgress Hashem's will. On the other hand, a person with poverty might feel unencumbered in a positive way, may feel happy to be unencumbered by problems that money can bring. So, a test, it's a test, it's a ladder, it's a ladder. Either you climb the ladder of money, of sulam, money, or you go down the sulam. And it's interesting, the Midrash says, in this dream, Hashem showed him two individuals who are very, very wealthy. Korach, who's extremely wealthy, the rabbi said. The Midrash says, Korach was totally extremely wealthy, but once he had wealth, the next thing he wanted was power. He wanted ego. He wanted power. He wanted to be the high priest. Why should he let his cousin Aaron Aharon be the high priest? I want to be high priest. And he fought with Moshe. The other one who was tremendously wealthy was Moshe Rabbeinu. We don't really realize, we think Moshe Rabbeinu was a poor man. He was. He started off very poor. He started off well. He was going to be very rich. He's going to be the king of Egypt, but he ran away, right? He ran away. He fought for the Jews and he ran away. He was, he was uh, chased by Pharaoh. He becomes a pauper. He becomes a shepherd, simple shepherd, till he goes to Mount Sinai and Hashem says, hew me the second tablets. And the second tablets, this is where Moshe Rabbeinu made his money. Hashem made him, gave him tablets of sapphire and he hewed them and the pieces that were left from the sapphire, Hashem says, they're yours, Moshe. The sapphire, can imagine, sapphire stones, massive sapphire stones from the hewing of the tablets. Moshe Rabbeinu becomes very rich, but the riches don't go to his head. There's two kinds of riches. The riches of Korach led to uh, ego and covered and honor-seeking. And the riches of Moshe, which didn't ruin Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu was the same Moshe before he got wealthy. Moshe Rabbeinu was the same Moshe after he got wealthy. So Sulam is a mechanism, Mamon. That's the third explanation. Okay. Number, number, the main explanation, this is number four. Spiritual growth. What does this ladder represent? It's a ladder to heaven. What does a ladder to heaven represent? And the answer is spiritual growth. Our purpose in this world is to climb the spiritual ladder. That's what the hint to Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, this world is a ladder to heaven. Either you can climb this ladder to heaven, or you can come down the ladder to heaven. And that's why, again, the angels were first going up. 
Yaakov Avinu, you have to climb this ladder to heaven. Be like the angels who climb the ladder, and don't be like the angels going down the ladder. We have to climb the ladder. And our purpose in this world is to reach spiritual heights. You know, our prayers are like ladders. We don't really realize that. The structure, especially of Shacharit, is like a ladder. Instead of the Korbanot, you get Baruch Shemah, the praises of Hashem, you get Yotzer Or, and then you got Amida. Amida is at the top of the ladder. Amida is when you're standing in prayer, Yudchet, the Shemunah Yisrei, facing Hashem. That is the peak of the ladder. And then we come down slowly from the ladder. You can't stay up this ladder of spirituality. Unless you're Moshe Rabbeinu 24-7, you can stay up the ladder of spirituality. But very few people can do that. Okay, so it's a ladder of spirituality. We have to climb the spiritual ladder. One does not stand still on a ladder. You can't stay still on a ladder. One is either engaged in climbing up or down, but never staying stationary. And this is what King David says. We said in Psalm 24, Hashem, who will climb the ladder of Hashem? Who will climb the mountain of Hashem? Me, I'm more than Kokocho, who can stand up there. So we have to climb this ladder. Unfortunately, it's hard to climb the spiritual ladder. One has to defy the gravitational pull of the physical and material tendencies. Whereas climbing down is just so easy. Just let go. Don't fight. Just let it go. Let the gravity pull you down. The physicality will pull you down. And I love to compare life in this world as a game of snakes and ladders. Snakes and ladders, shoots and ladders. Uh, in English, it's called, yes, yeah, snakes and ladders in English. In America, it's called shoots uh, and ladders. So they didn't want to say snakes, they said shoots. But really, it's a game of snakes and ladders. A snake is a proverbial snake, the Yitzhara. If the person climbs the ladder of spirituality and they're bitten by the snake, they come down the snake. And then they have to climb up again. That's what this world's all about climbing. And unfortunately, pull down. Climbing and pull down. One may invest a lot of energy in spiritual growth. After days, weeks, months, or years of slow but short growth, a single event can pull a person down. On the other hand as well, a person can be falling and then a single event can pull them up. Right? The Bhattashiva can suddenly change their lives and pull themselves up. And that's which all, you know, that's our role model. Our role model is to pull ourselves up. Yaqwab, pull yourself up the spiritual ladder. So the famous Hasid rabbi asked the question to his Talmud and he says, Who is higher? A person on the second round? the ladder or the person on the fifth rung of the ladder? And the Hasidim were shaking their heads. What well, such a simple question. What's this question? Who is higher? The fifth round or the second round? Obviously the fifth round. Say, Rebbe, we didn't understand. Well, it's such a simple question. So no, he says, the guy on the fifth rung is not higher. It's whoever's going up is higher. Whoever's going down is lower. So it's not where you are on the ladder. It's which direction you're going on the ladder. If you're climbing the ladder, you're high. That's a high. You're going down the ladder to low. So climbing the ladder, that's the key. Always trying to climb the ladder. We always have to try and climb this spiritual ladder. And Sulam is also called. How do we climb this ladder? As I mentioned, another facet of climbing the ladder, the ladder is the ladder of prayer, which is also a gematria of 136. Sulam, 136. Prayer is called. Called Kufa Lamed 136. Call the voice of Yaakov. said, Hakol Kol Yaakov. That's what his father said. The voice is the voice of Yaakov, which is prayer. Kol Yaakov is prayer. And prayer is a ladder that links us to God. How do we link ourselves to Hashem? And the answer is when we pray, we're linking Hashem. We're linking ourselves to Hashem. We're trying to link ourselves to Hashem. Something we must never forget when we pray. We must never forget this idea that we're trying to link to Hashem. We're trying to link to the Holy One. We're linking ourselves to Melech Malchim, the King of Kings. 
our Father in heaven, our prayers, our thoughts and aspirations, they climb the ladder to Hashem. And they trigger energies. That could also be an explanation. The angels coming down, the energies, the Shefa, the blessing that Hashem is sending down to us. You know, the beautiful story says, a rabbi was praying. Now, he takes a long time to pray. This rabbi takes 30 minutes to pray Musaf on Shabbat. And his congregants are waiting, waiting, and waiting for the rabbi to finish praying so they can run to the Kiddush and have some food. And one day, you know, the, the, the congregants say to each other, you know, the rabbi takes so long to pray. We can probably go and make Kiddush and come back and he's still praying. Don't have to wait for him. So that's what they did. They sneak out the shul. He's praying Musaf. They sneak out the shul. They go to make Kiddush. And in the middle of the Kiddush, the rabbi's there. He says, hey, guys, what happened? Where have you been? He said, Rabbi, what happened? Today, you, you prayed, took you five minutes. You usually take 30 minutes. The rabbi said, you know, when I pray, I'm climbing the ladder. And today, I felt the rungs of my ladder are falling down. Every time I take a step up, the rung is breaking. You don't realize, he says, you are the rungs of my ladder. There's no such thing as a leader who can lead without people behind them with the rungs of the ladder. Moshe Rabbeinu could not read. Straight away, Hashem says, when the Jews sit at the golden calf, he says, Lech red, Moshe Rabbeinu, Lech red, Kishichet Amecha, your people have sinned, go down the ladder. You go down the mountain. That mountain is the ladder. Go down that mountain. So a leader cannot lead unless he has followers. The followers are the rungs of the leader's ladder. That's a very important idea. We are all rungs and leader, whoever the leader of the generation is, we are the rungs of the ladder. We pray properly, he can pray properly. We don't pray properly, he can also pray. His spirituality depends on our spirituality. That's a very beautiful idea. Now, it's interesting, on the basis of this passage, the rabbi said in the Gemara Brachot, Yaakov instituted the evening prayer. Yaakov institutes Arvit, which is Ma'ariv. The inference is based on the word Vayivgab which can mean not just to hit, but to encounter, to happen upon, but also the word prayer, entreated, pleaded, as Yirmiyahu uses this word as pleading and praying. So he prayed in that place. The sages also understood the word Bamakom, as we mentioned. Makom is the place, the place of the universe, which is Hashem. He hit the, the place, he met the place, he encountered the place, he prays to God, the place of the world, Yaakov completes the cycle of daily prayer. Abraham prays to Shacharit, the morning prayers. Yaakov, Yitzhak institutes Mincha, the afternoon prayer. Yaakov, Arvid, the evening prayer. This is a striking idea. Though each of the weekday prayers is identical in wording, the Shemona is the same. Three times a day, each bears the character of one of the patriarchs. Abraham represents morning. Morning in the morning, the bright sunshine in the morning. The sun is rising. He is the initiator. Sunrise implies initiator. Abraham Abinu is the initiator, the one who introduced a new spiritual religious consciousness to the world. That's that's a bright sunshine, dawn, and uh, sunrise. With him, a day begins. That's Abraham Abinu. Our day, our spiritual day, begins with Abraham Abinu, who initiated, who started this spiritual experience for mankind. Yitzhak represents afternoon. The sun is setting. Right? It's not set yet. Yitzhak represents the sun is setting. There's nothing new about Yitzhak, as we saw last week. There's no major transition from darkness to light or light to darkness. Many of the incidents in Yitzhak's life are just repetitions of those of his father. Just like Abraham, he's forced to leave, go to the land of the Philistines, the famine. He redigs his father's wells. Yitzhak's heroism is continuity. Sometimes you don't have to be a hero, someone who uh, doesn't invest in the best uh, and start something new and uh, and invent new things that's not a hero. Sometimes it's just a continuity. 
the Jew is just continuous with Judaism. It just passes down the torch to the next generation. So we're going to see the story of Hanukkah. It's passing down that torch. That's important. Yitzhak was a strong chain in the land, in the in, in, in Jewish continuity. That's what we need to be. We need to be strong change, just like Yitzhak. Not everyone can be an Abraham, the inventor of religion, the 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 uh, believer in God who can spread his faith around the world. Yitzhak is you know, a quiet hero, the one who continues Judaism. He's a link in the chain of the covenant. He joins one generation to the next. He introduces nothing new into the life of faith, but his life has its own nobility. Yitzhak is steadfastness, loyalty, determination to continue. Yaakov represents night. He is the man of fear and flight, which we have to now. This is what I want to talk about, the fear and flight of Yaakov, the man who wrestles with Hashem, with others, with, with oneself. Yaakov is one who knows the darkness of the world. Yaakov has reached the pinnacle of heights. His visions are the heights, but his loss of wealth, his loss of, of security, is, is the depths, depths of physicality and the heights of spirituality. That's what we learn from Yaakov's life. When Yaakov's in the depths, that's when he sees angels. When Yaakov's in the top physically, he doesn't see angels anymore. We're going to talk about this. It's a very interesting comment. This is really applicable to us today. But we're in the depths. The Jewish people are in the depths. We were in the depths. October 7th. In Israel, it was Simchat Torah. It was, one of, it was the, probably the worst Simchat Torah in my life. Believe me. The worst Simchat Torah in my life I was hearing these sirens every every few minutes, running up and down the staircase in the shul, going to the miklat, and it was it was a tar- it was a tough day. It was a very tough day. Simchat Torah. Those were the depths. Now, you know, David Amelach has one of the psalms. Hashem, I cried out to you from the depths. That's Yaakov. Yaakov is a man who cries out to God from the depths. Here's a boy who, who had everything, born with a silver spoon in his mouth, and he's forced to run away, and now he's penniless. Eliphaz, Esav's son, had stolen everything from him, penniless, leaving the land of Israel, the land of his birthplace, the land he was living in, and going into exile. So here he is in the depths, and in the depths, by Gaba Makom, he encounters Hashem. He prays. Can you imagine? Yaakov's prayer to Hashem was a prayer from the depths. We have to understand that. Yaakov's prayer to Hashem was a prayer from the depths of his soul. And Rabbi Yeshua takes the view. Unlike Shacharit and Mincha, Arabic is not. It's not something which is obligatory. In the time of the Talmud, Arabic, the evening prayer was not obligatory. The evening prayer is not obligatory, although, as we know today, the Shulchan says, it becomes obligatory through the Minhag. Our Minhag of praying Arabic as well made Arabic obligatory. We have a mitzvah now to pray Arabic. It's a, it's a mitzvah from the force of Minhag. It's not a mitzvah from the Torah. Whereas Shacharit and Mincha are mitzvot, which the rabbis built on, on the korbanot, which are permanent fixtures of Jewish halacha, Arvit became permanent through the force of Minha. It's interesting. So it was issued by Yaakov. What is it? You know, what? Abraham Abinu gets Shacharit. Okay, it's instituted. Everyone has to pray Shacharit. Yitzhak gets Mincha, and everyone has to pray Mincha. Yaakov, his prayer is not obligatory. Why is that? So obviously the first view is the view adopted by the Talmud that our prayers are not based on Abraham and Tzav Yaakov, even though they are a little bit. They're based mainly on the sacrifices. And the temple sacrifice, there were two sacrifices, Shacharit and Mincha, there was no evening sacrifice. The, sacri- the evening uh, portion was the leftovers. The leftovers of the sacrifices had to be burnt that night. And that's Arvid. 
Sometimes there were leftovers, sometimes there were no leftovers, mostly there were leftovers, and therefore they're repeat prayer is based on the leftovers, and therefore it's not obligatory, at least it wasn't obligatory in those days. The second reason is there's a law that one who journeys on foot doesn't have to pray. One who journeys on foot is so, the Rambam brings down that not just on the day of the journey, in those days we have no idea what it was like to journey those days. You're with a camel train if you're lucky. If you're going by yourself, you're finished, basically. If you are going, traveling through these desolate places by yourself, you're either you die of thirst or hunger, or you get killed by these brigands along the way, right? So, so a person who's going on a journey in those days wouldn't have to pray three days before and three days after. Ramon said, a person mind couldn't think. They couldn't think straight. They were so worried about the, the journey. And for three days thereafter, he says, those on the journey and on three days after, don't have to pray. They're exempt from prayer. Why? That was a time where there's constant fear of being attacked, constant fear of uh, losing one's way. And therefore, Yaakov was on a journey. He was, he was exempt from prayer. Therefore, the prayer he instituted was a, was a prayer of voluntary. It was a voluntary prayer. It wasn't an obligatory prayer. He was exempt from prayer that was voluntary. The third tradition is that Yaakov Abinu was traveling and the sun set suddenly, it says. Not in its normal time. Yaakov wanted to pray our uh, Mincha, which is his father's Yitzhak's prayer, but the sun said he prayed Arvid. So since the intention was to pray Mincha, not Arvid, and therefore Arvid not, it became not obligatory, but voluntary. That's the third explanation. There's a more profound explanation. This is one I like. A different linguistic construction is used for each of the three occasions. Right? Yeah, Avraham Abinu, it says, Ashkem Avraham Abokir. Avraham Abinu got up early in the morning, where I said to pray. He got up early in the, in the morning to go to the place, again, the word place, where he had stood before Hashem, went to pray. Yaakov Avinu, Yitzhak Avinu says, Vasuach Basadeh. Yeah, Yitzhak Avinu goes to chat in the field. It's interesting. He went out to meditate. Vasuach Basadeh. In the late era before the evening. Yaakov Avinu encounters Hashem. There's three different words used for the prayer experience. It's very, very beautiful. Abraham Avinu initiated the quest for Hashem. He got up early in the morning. He's looking for Hashem. He was a creative religious personality, the father of all those who set out a journey of the spirit to an unknown destination. He was he had trust in God that I'm going to find God. And by Ashkem Abraham Bokeh, so I got up. He got up early in the morning to look for Hashem. And Yitzhak's prayer is denotes sicha. Sicha is conversational dialogue. There are two parties to a dialogue: one who speaks, one who listens. And then having listened, response. Itzhak represents a religious experience, a conversation between the word of Hashem and the word of man. That's the suah masadeh. Itzhak was a conversation with God. Yaakov's prayer is very different. Yaakov Abinu is praying from the depths of the dimension. He's praying on the verge of Galut. He's praying with all his heart. He's penniless and uh, he does not initiate it. His thoughts are elsewhere. He's running away. Esav, he's thinking about Esav, I'm running away from Esav, scared of Esav. He's, run, he's running away to Lavan, who's not the best person we can talk about. In this troubled mind comes a vision of Hashem and the angels on a stairway connecting earth and heaven. He has done nothing to prepare for it. It is unexpected. Yaakov literally encounters Hashem. Totally unprepared, totally unexpected. Hashem is one we can sometimes encounter without any preparation, without any thought. 
And that's why Yaakov's prayer can only be made the basis of a regular obligation. No one of us knows when the presence of Hashem will suddenly intrude into our lives. This is a very beautiful idea that there's an element of religious life that is beyond our conscious control. It comes out of nowhere. It comes out of nowhere when we are least expecting it. If Abraham represents our journey to God and Yitzhak represents our dialogue with Hashem, Yaakov signifies Hashem's encounter with us. Unplanned, unscheduled, unexpected, the vision, the voice, the call, we can never know of in advance, which leaves us transformed. As for Yaakov, so for us, it feels as if we are waking from a sleep and realizing for the first time, Hashem is in this place, Yaakov says, and I didn't even know it. Yaakov is not prepared. Hashem is here. I didn't even know. Maybe we'll wake up as well from this nightmare we're going through and say, you know what? All the time, Hashem is here, and we didn't even know it. We couldn't see it. We couldn't feel it. But now we know it. When everything will go well, there's right Hashem. We'll know Hashem is with us. Hashem is protecting us all the time. You know what? I keep telling my wife, you know, if this would have happened in 10 years' time, it would be much worse. They would be better armed, better trained, better prepared to go all the way. And thank God it happened now, and we can deal with it now, and not in 10 years' time. Baruch Hashem. Hashem saved us, in a sense. Hashem put this impatience into them and saved us from something much worse. Anyway, it's an encounter. By Gaba Makom means thinking of other things, and the person walks into God's presence. We're thinking of other things, and Hashem's presence overwhelms us. Hashem is here. Such experiences take place literally at night. What happens when we are alone, afraid, vulnerable, close to despair? It is then, when we least expect it, we can find our lives flooded by the radiance of the divine. You don't know how many Israeli soldiers start wearing their tali katans because of this war. I think there were, I don't know, they talk about thousands and thousands. And how many, how many Israeli soldiers start wearing tefillin? 17,000 pairs of tefillin were donated, at least. So Baruch Hashem, there's an encounter going on. Hashem's presence in Gaza. Yes, Hashem is there in Gaza with the troops. Hashem is in the least suspecting place. And that's the place we need Him. That's the place where they're calling Him. That's where they play the yearning. Hashem, look after us. Heal us and please Hashem. Look after them and look after all of us. And may your presence be with us like your presence was with Yaakov Amin going into exile. And suddenly with a certainty that is unmistakable, we know we are not alone. Hashem is here, he's been here all along, and we were too preoccupied by our own concerns to notice him. That is how Yaakov found Hashem, not by his own efforts like Abraham, not through continuous dialogue like Yitzhak, but in the midst of fear and isolation. And we're going to see this a few times in Yaakov's life. Whenever he's running, whenever he's scared, whenever he trips and he falls, he falls into the waiting arms of Hashem. This is Yaakov's life. This is our life in exile. This is our life right now in Israel. We're falling into the arms of Hashem. We have no one else to turn to. We're falling into the arms of Hashem. No one who has had that experience ever forgets it. Now I know that you were here with me all the time. I was looking somewhere else, but you were here all the time. That was Yaakov's prayer. There are times when we speak and there are times we are spoken to. Prayer is not always predictable. No matter of fixed times and daily obligation, it is also an openness, a vulnerability. Hashem can take us by surprise, waking us up from our sleep, catching us as we fall. And that's what it takes to be Yaakov. Yaakov Avinu is... Yaakov Avinu is... 
What makes Yaakov? Yaakov is the guy. He falls and he gets up. He falls and he gets up. He runs and he arrives and he comes back. So try the fault, fear, and yet keep going. That is what it takes to be a leader. That's what makes Yaakov the true father of the Jewish people. Why is Yaakov? That's one of the questions we have to ask in this week's parasha. Why is Yaakov chosen to be the true father of the Jewish people? Not Abraham, not Yitzhak. We are called Beit Yaakov, says the, the, later on in, in Shemot. Moshe Rabbeinu calls a woman Beit Yaakov. That's why Beit Yaakov schools are named after Beit Yaakov, the house of Jacob. We are called the children of Israel. We are called the Nei Israel, the men are called Bnei Israel. Beit Yaakov, Bnei Israel, were children of Yaakov. You know. Yaakov and Israel is the man who we are named after. That's the name we bear. Yet Yaakov did not begin the Jewish history. Abraham did. Yaakov faced no trial like that of Yitzhak at the binding of Yitzhak. He did not lead the people out of Egypt or bring them to the Torah. To be sure, his great virtue was all his children came out successful. Every single child of Yaakov was part of our heritage. Every single child of Yaakov successful in their Judaism. Every single child. That's why he's our hero. Yaakov is our hero. Every single child. The best we're going to see, the best educated in the world is Yaakov Avinu, which we have to understand. Let's talk about in the next coming weeks. How was Yaakov the biggest educator, the best educator? And uh, he's fleeing from one day to the next. And he sees this staircase. And But it's so interesting. There are three dreams in the parasha. Three dreams in this parasha. We said Yaakov's the dreamer. And the next dream, it seems to be one dream. There's really two dreams. Ramban says... And this is Yaakov Avinu now. Yaakov Avinu has worked for you, for his uh, father-in-law, for uh, Rachel, for seven years, and he's got Leah, and he works another seven years for Rachel, 14 years, and he works another six years to get his money, to get wealth, and finally he's wealthy. He's wealthy. And what happens is an angel of God said to him in a dream. This is Yaakov Avinu telling his wives. An angel of God sent to me in my dream. And I said, here I am. And he said, raise your eyes when you see the goats, right? The speckle, the checkered, and the ring. That was the first part of the dream. The angel is advising him how to become wealthy, how to make the angel of these. Uh, Yaakov Avila gives him a dream. And uh, and uh, <laughs> gives him a dream. And Hashem gives him the dream to be successful with Laban. To create these different kinds of colored sheep, and Ravan says, "You take all the speckled, the speckled sheep, and all the sheep, all the sheep start becoming speckled. You take the ring sheep, and uh, the ring, the ring sheep uh, start all uh, Yaakov's sheep become." That was a dream that Yaakov got. How to make these these things happen? Hashem predicting he's going to become very wealthy, and then he gets a, another dream, the third dream. Now it's interesting in the account of it; it's, it's brought as one dream, but you can see it's two dreams. So Ramban says it's two separate dreams. The last dream Yaakov got is go back to Israel. Yaakov Avinu, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made me a vow. Now arise, leave this land and go back to your land. That's interesting. You see how Yaakov Avinu goes through phases. First, he has dreams, ladders going to heaven, beautiful spiritual dreams. His next dream is a very physical dream. He's dreaming about sheep, speckled sheep, ring sheep. All kinds of different sheep. Very, very physical dream. Yaakov really becomes this physical man. He's living outside Israel. He's not dreaming about spirituality. No ladders to heaven. 
he has this very, very physical, material dream. And then after that, Hashem says, go back, Yaakov. You cannot retain your spirituality in this place. Even though the rabbis tell us, you know, I kept all the mitzvot. Nevertheless, a spiritual level fell. Of course, how can you live with Lavan and retain your spiritual level? But his spiritual level fell to the point where Hashem says, go back, Yaakov. You can't stay at this place. Especially now you have a son called Yosef who's very spiritual and, and willing to learn, go back, take everyone back to Eretz Israel. And that is, we see how Yaakov goes through his phases, spirituality, the physical, then back to spirituality, Baruch Hashem. We're going to talk about it next week and the, the big fight between Yaakov and Esau, the spiritual battle, with his, it predates the physical battle. There's a spiritual, there's something you don't even think about. The spiritual battle is going on regardless. Every single day, we see a physical battle going on around us. We don't see and feel and touch and are sensitive to our spiritual battles. Our spiritual battles are going on right now. Every single second of the day, we are faced with tests and trials. The Yitzharab versus the Yitzharab, our own inclinations are fighting each other in a physical and spiritual battle. We're going to talk about next week the angel uh, and Yaakov fighting and the spiritual battle, Esau's angel and Yaakov. We're going to talk about, so Yaakov's always running away. You see, Yaakov Venus is man running away. It's exile. It's all about Jewish exile. The night running exile, first from Esau, then from Lavan. Both times Yaakov Venus was accused of taking something not belonging to him. The blessings he took from Esau and the possessions from Laban, both beginning and end of narrative, included an oath made adjacent to stones that was set up as a pillar. In this week's parasha, right at the beginning, it says there were stones set up. He set up stones as a pillar and made a, a vow to Hashem. And Hashem, you bring me back in peace. You're my God. And both beginning and end have a Yaakov encountering angels. Interesting. So there's a beginning and end. The, the same end is at the same beginning. These, these are the, the phases, like the moon. It's bigger and bigger and bigger. It's smaller and smaller and smaller. Here, Yaakov gets bigger and bigger and bigger spiritually, physically low. Then it gets bigger and bigger physically, spiritually low. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger spiritually and physically low. So Yaakov goes through these phases and eventually gets both. Baruch Hashem, he gets both. And we'll talk about this next, but we'll see this, that when a person is physically down, October 7th was the day we were physically down. And we fell into Hashem's arms. We have no one else to rely on. We're praying. People are praying like they haven't prayed for a long time. People are doing mitzvot like they haven't done mitzvot. We have to strengthen ourselves. And Bezrat Hashem Hashem will give us strength, physical strength to our soldiers, protect us in his divine protection like did with the Akim of Vina going to exile and saving him from Laban and bringing him back to Eretz Israel. And Bezrat Hashem, we will come out of this even stronger. Our hostages will come in and they'll be coming back, some of them, 13 of them, tomorrow morning. We're looking forward to it. Bezrat Hashem will be a Thanksgiving. Bezrat Hashem will be a real Thanksgiving. They all get them back and this war will be over successfully, Bezrat Hashem. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.